could ever predict some of the things that have occurred in our lives. As I prepare stories to send out to you, some thought interrupts my process. I'm kind of hyperactive and my thoughts come in and out like a breeze sometimes. At any rate, these thoughts come in and they draw me back to actual incidents. They're usually stranger than fiction. This story actually sounds like a fairy tale. I can still hardly believe it. Synchronicity? You bet. Enjoy. The sky darkened and lightning flashed in the distance. Joey laughed as the thought crossed his mind that it was turning into a literal dark and stormy night. Fortunately, though, the sky was able to hold its water while he offloaded his work from the van. The old library building provided serious challenges for art exhibitions. The lighting was hideous. Nooks and crannies and shadows, terrible traffic patterns, all of it. But it was what it was. He drew the short straw, the worst venue in the entire system. Joey worked the shift at the diner and got off an hour early to beat traffic and start setting up. Joey and his wife Kelly only had the one car, so transportation to their jobs and school tended to be a challenge, a balancing act that they were able to carry off pretty well, kind of like the Walendas, no net either. Joey often wondered how she ever said yes when he asked her to marry him. It was obvious to Joey that he wasn't her dad's first choice. When their relationship became serious, she got a lot of pushback from her family. He felt his father-in-law's disapproval in his gaze, evaluating this clown his daughter hooked up with. A short order cook and a ham and egger by the racetrack, and another nail in his coffin, he was a college student. He could imagine the conversations his in-laws had about the shelf life of their daughter's marriage. Joey thought Kelly's parents underestimated her. The girl was the real deal. Beautiful, bright, and with a fierce independent nature. Kelly was the cream in his coffee. This morning, he dropped Kelly off to her job at the bank in Woodbury and then drove over to Ringo's Diner in Cherry Hill. He wanted to be there in time to help Robbie finish breakfast and get set for the lunch rush. He thanked God and all the demigods of the cooking industry that it was payday. He was riding on fumes, and he'd already cleaned out the change between the cushions to pay for today's gas. At times like these, he felt that maybe Kel's parents were right about him. The scrounging for change in the cushions was all right when he was single, but pretty crappy as a married guy. Maybe they should have waited and married after graduation and his new career got going. He struggled to push his uncertainties and self-recriminations to the back burner. They were in it for the long haul and today was really important for their future lives together. Doubt was a luxury he couldn't afford. The good news was that since he got paid, he was able to get gas. They'd be able to drive home tonight. Little things mean a lot. Joey liked his job as a short order artist. It was lunacy at times, but he was good on the grill, and the crazy pace made the shift pass like a shot. Ringo's was a tradition in Cherry Hill. The regulars had been eating at rings for years. Most of them pretty much knew one another. 
treated each other like family. It was kind of like, just like you see in the old movies, people gathering amongst other people in places that prepare and serve food tends to lend itself to that kind of vibe. Joey didn't just enjoy the atmosphere there, he absolutely loved it. The mayhem when it was rushed, of digging out of the weeds, the crew, the customers. It was exactly what he needed at this point in his life. It helped to pay the bills and provided a sense of the extended family he lacked. Joey was pleased that he was able to earn his stripes at Ringo's and was now considered an integral part of the crew. He'd really miss Robbie and the crew at Ringo's, but he'd graduate in a few weeks and already had a position lined up that paid a heck of a lot better than hash house wages and would utilize his freshly minted degree to better effect. The last rung on the ladder was this damned exhibition. As breakfast petered out and most of the lunch prep was done, Robbie made him a cheesesteak with Swiss to go and booted him out of the kitchen. He called Joey Van Gogh and said, hey, Van Gogh, get out of here already. Go and make Ringo's proud. Joey wasted no time. He hopped in the car, dashed over to school eating his steak en route. One of Kelly's girlfriends at the bank lived near Oakhurst State, so after work, she'd bring Kelly to the exhibit site smooth as silk, but always with fingers crossed in the event the silk had a wrinkle or two. The exhibition was a requirement for education majors who had a specialization in art. The presentation was critiqued by a committee comprised of Oakhurst professors and graduate students in the art department. There were rules set out for exhibitors concerning taste and decorum. The student exhibits demonstrated the expertise of the presenter, the quality of the art department, and by default, the mores and values of the conservative-leaning Oakhurst State. Earlier in this year's exhibition season, one of his classmates, Chloe Schickler, wanted to stretch limits and step away from the usual stuff graduating students presented. She confided in him. She said, you know, Joey, you know, I like a little jam on my toast. Know what I mean? I want people to really look and really see when they come to my exhibition. I want them to feel. I'm going to spread some jam on their damn toast. <laughs> well, she was a nice kid. A little out there, maybe on the zany side, but really a nice, decent kid and an absolutely unbelievable artist. She lucked out with one of the primo exhibition areas. Great light, nice traffic patterns, and great, great wall space. The best. Her opening was to be a memorable event in the annals of Oakhurst State College student exhibitions. I expected some jam, and as a woman of her word, Chloe didn't disappoint. She spread a bunch of jam that day and a lot of other stuff Oakhurst could never imagine. Visitors to Chloe's show were greeted by a huge sign she mounted over the entrance that read, Welcome to Life 1967. Look and feel. Inside the door, a full life-sized painting of herself, all natural, along with a series of smaller pieces featuring herself in I guess acrobatic poses 
that showcased her considerable artistic ability by way of the lifelike renderings of her more delicate private areas. It was the 1960s after all, so in a sense, all bets were off in the art world. People were doing crazy, crazy stuff in major galleries across the country. Why not here? News of Chloe's exhibit and exhibitionism spread rapidly across the campus and the community. At the end of the day, the show drew the largest attendance in the history of the department's exhibitions. Fortunately, or I guess unfortunately, depending upon where you stood on frank nudity, on the morning of Chloe's opening, the chairman of the department, Dr. Ari Sigler, a nasty, middle-aged, failed artist, experienced car trouble and arrived well after the doors opened. By the time Sigler arrived, there was such a crowd around Bosworth Hall, the campus police were called in to do crowd control. No kidding, it was insane. Sigler assumed the place was on fire, but was puzzled there was no smoke or flames. When he walked in the front doors of Bosworth, there was no fire, only Chloe, life-size. It was then that he felt the heat and promptly fainted dead away. Chloe's attempt at connecting our school with the zeitgeist of the 60s created a stir, all right, and resulted in a hearing with consequences that included threats of expulsion for the courageous, albeit crestfallen, young woman. She made out okay, though. They didn't boot her out. They just gave her a hard time. As a consequence of the Chloe experience, any and all future exhibitions were to be rated AAA on the fig leafer scale. That meant anything unclothed was verboten. To the uninitiated, the censure on nudity may not seem like such a big deal. In reality, the study of art necessitates a working understanding of the human form, mostly without benefit of clothing. Hello, Michelangelo and Rodin. You know, you might have heard of them and seen their work along the way. I never saw any of their subjects dressed in business suits or anything of that nature. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> Most of us endured years of what was called life drawing. Initially, for us 20-something guys, the thought of gazing at living naked ladies for hours at a time, well, it was not a terrible thing. Who needs Playboy magazine when we have this? No staples, nothing. Put me in, coach. However, we came to learn that the production of nudes done in various media and increasingly demanding time frames became an ulcer builder. In the process of our life studies, we began to understand how the human body was articulated and what it looked like when it moved in specific ways. So informed, we would be able to go on and create works where the people we drew or painted or sculpted looked mostly human rather than an alien species. Over the years, we came to amass a considerable body of practice work, some of which turned out pretty well. I was so proud of some of my renderings, I even showed my mom. My poor mom had a look at all this stuff. <laughs> She just said, oh, that's really nice, Joey. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know what she really thought, but anyways. Uh, in, in preparation for my exhibit, Kelly and I sifted through all the stuff I'd created over the past several years. I had set all the nudes to the side 
and discounted using them due to the ban on flesh. We put together all the material Kelly and I thought would work for the difficult exhibit space and prepared to transport it to the car. When we stowed everything, we came back to the apartment and saw the pile of life drawing renderings. Kel sat on the floor and began paging through the work. She was looking intently and shook her head. I asked her what was up and she said, You know, Joey, it's a damn shame that nobody but us gets to see some of these drawings. Some of them are really cool. They're excellent, in fact, she said. She pulled three of them out of the stack and said, Oh my gosh, I just love these. The shadowing is so effective. I said, Well, thanks, kiddo, but... You know, the censors ruled them all out because of Chloe the Naked. Kelly said, yeah, I know, but I think that's ridiculous. She then went on to say I should try to get some of them into the show, somehow, just on general principles at least. I was kind of surprised by Kelly's take on this no-nude-is-good-nude business, although she's always been a champion of the underdog. She was really indignant about this ban on nudes. She asked, is this an art program or a novitiate for the convent? She suggested that I talk to my advisor, Dr. Olivo. She said that I had to do something. She said, just do it, man. Just do it. Don't give in to that crap. No pressure there, all right. Well, anyway, long story short, I spoke with Dr. O, and he thought, if I hung some of my best demure poses, you know, not not a mini-course in gynecology like Chloe, nicely matted and judiciously placed in the exhibit. I should give it a shot. He warned, however, that I should remember that the old library where I was to be exhibiting was across the lane from Dr. Hartley, the college president's residence. Dr. Hartley also had an office over at the library, and it was highly likely that he'd be in the vicinity of my exhibit. Well, if he disapproved, a redo could be in the offing, and since it was already late May, there'd be no time to squeeze in another exhibit before the end of the term. My exhibition would be rescheduled sometime in the mid-November exhibition season, and graduation would be postponed until freaking January. <sighs> well, now, the stakes have grown exponentially all of a sudden. Should I? Or shouldn't I? The storm rolled in with a darkening evening sky, and rain pelted the large library windows that, from the outside, must have seemed like an island in a stormy sea. I proceeded to begin hanging my show, including the nudes, and in deference to the unclad, I constructed a discreet, kind of like a corridor from the movable wall panels used, you know, that you use for cubicles and stuff in offices turned out pretty cool. It was moving along nicely when competing with the racket of the pelting rain, I heard rapping from the front door. I stopped what I was doing, walked over to the entrance, and spotted a tiny little figure standing hunched over in the doorway, huddled against the storm. I hurried to unlock the door and assist the windswept visitor inside and out of the maelstrom. I helped her to shed her plastic raincoat and hat she looked up at me and offered me the picnic hamper that she had been carrying. She said she and her husband were sitting down to dinner and noticed me putting up my exhibit and uh, knew that it was scheduled to open on Monday. 
And as a young man, she figured that I would be hungry. She was very correct because I hadn't eaten anything since the cheesesteak. Now, I had no idea where this woman came from. The old library was pretty much off the beaten track. And, well, I said, well, the only structure nearby was the president's residence. So, nah, couldn't be. But it was. She must be the president's wife. Oh, the realization rendered me speechless. She said, enjoy your dinner while I look around, if that's okay with you. And cold shiver struck my gut as I agreed to show her around the exhibit. She noticed the whole of the naked <laughs> and walked in. I said nothing as I studied her perusing my work. She seemed to be enjoying herself. She turned to me smiling and encouraged me to eat my dinner as she walked slowly through the exhibit. The rain had tapered somewhat by the time she finished her tour. I looked at her and smiled sheepishly, oh my god, as I asked for her impression. Waiting for the hammer to fall, she said, well young man, what a lovely and tastefully displayed exhibit. Absolutely wonderful. She smiled as I helped her on with her rain gear and she said, Young man, when you leave, just make sure you lock the door and bring the hamper over to the house and leave it on the bench in the alcove. Your exhibit does a service to this old building, young man, and these old eyes. I can't wait till the president sees it. Thank you so much. Then off she went. I was absolutely dumbstruck. <laughs> oh my gosh. As my benefactor was crossing the lane, Kelly and her girlfriend arrived. Kel saw me as she got out of the car and waved to her girlfriend as she pulled away. She hurried over to the door, and as we walked inside, she asked who my visitor was. I casually told her, well, it was only Tom Hartley's wife. Kelly looked puzzled. She said, Tom Hartley? President Thomas Hartley's wife? I laughed and shouted, President Hartley's wife? Yeah, she loved it. Then I told her about setting up the storm and the little old lady appearing out of nowhere with the picnic hamper and how she loved the exhibit. Kelly said, oh my God, oh my God, she actually brought you dinner? She saw your show? Oh my God, and she loved it? <sighs> I said, yeah, she loved it. She absolutely loved it. And she said she couldn't wait till her husband saw it. Well, oh my, what an experience, I must say. In a sense, it was much ado about nothing, right? Don't you think? And then, you know, I mean, but the, but the stakes were so high, right? I mean, suppose she said, oh my God, you're a perv. You got to take this down before anybody else sees it. But she didn't. She loved it. She loved it. And you know what else? Kel and I loved the fried chicken. It was some of the best fried chicken we ever tasted. And that was quite a gamble for a principal. Fortunately for Joey and Kelly, it kind of worked out. But boy, I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'd do it today. Too much was riding on that. Who gives a crap, you know, about nudes? Anyways, truth is surely stranger than fiction, is it not? Not the Twilight Zone, but that night, Joey felt like he actually fell out of a Rod Serling script. 
a whole business thunder, lightning, teeming down rain, and the compassion of a stranger. And what a stranger. She literally held his future in her hands. Incredible. Life surely has its ups and downs, all right, but when it's good, you can taste the sweetness, can't you? You can taste it and feel it. It's an amazing phenomenon. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook where you can like us and write to us at Doug, the number two, N-D-S-T, at gmail.com. Again, that's D-O-U-G-S, the number two, N-D-S-T, at gmail.com. Easy enough, right? Not. You guys are great. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to hearing from you, at least on Facebook. In the meantime, until next time, take care of yourselves. Bye now. Thank you.